Welcome to the new Cat Chat brought to you by Dr. Elsie's, the wonderful private company owned by Dr. Elsie, a feline-only veterinarian whose personal mission is to formulate litters that keep cats using the litter box, which keeps them in their loving homes. I'm Tracy Hotchner, the author of The Cat Bible, everything your cat expects you to know. My mission is to entertain, educate, and inspire cat lovers like you to give their kitty cats the best possible life in nutrition, affection, and environmental enrichment. With Dr. Elsie's support, the Cat Chat Show brings you interviews with cat authors and experts, some old favorites, some new conversations, so you can better understand and appreciate your own feline family members. Dr. Elsie's is also the founding and contributing sponsor of my Cat Film Festival, short films from around the world that celebrate the kitty cat, which will be back in theaters as soon as they reopen. Meantime, thanks to Dr. Elsie's, you can now see streaming versions of the Cat Film Festival for free on Amazon Prime and Tubi TV. Hope you enjoy listening and watching. I am here with Anthony Hutcherson, someone I have met several times at Big Pet conventions because he's always part of the precious cat booth with the most amazing critters you ever saw in your life his bengal cats anthony it's so great to be able to talk to you and i must say it was very funny because you said oh you're on npr i love npr i have you right on my phone and then it turned out that local npr wasn't on national npr on your phone and we were both quite mad weren't we we were we were. We were like, wait a minute. It's a pleasure to talk to you again. And to you, and to you. You're sort of one of the star attractions of not just the Precious Cat booth at these big 10,000 booth, 10,000 people. I don't know how to explain what these gatherings are. They're not conventions. They're not conferences. Well, they're kind of conferences. But there are certainly booths where all the companies that make anything to do with pets show their stuff and retailers come and look and the press comes and looks and you're there inside this wonderful kind of tented like a like a I don't know a catio almost a portable catio with these exquisite leopard like kitties that you breed and that they they just act differently than any other cat I've ever seen it's almost like you become a cat when you're with them has anyone ever told you that that you kind of almost take on an aspect of them well, you know, no one's ever mentioned that to me before, Tracy. That's an interesting observation. But I think that uh, you might have something there. You can't help but be impressed by their grace and their stealth. And when uh, you watch them, because cats really respond to slower movements uh, from people and, and softer tones in, their, in your voice when you speak to them, they do that so you find yourself you're moving with a bit more intention, oh. speaking slowly, and if I could purr, I would. Oh, well, it seems that you are purring. You say you explain that really well, moving with more intention. You have a balletic way about you when you're holding one or more of them, and they and you kind of hold them under the armpits, and they drape all down your arm, and sort of their tail is up <laughs> on your shoulder, and it feels like, and now, folks, for his next trick... And it's almost like some yeah. amazing Vegas circus act because you're very handsome and exotic looking and the, the cats are amazing and there's all this crowd around and and everyone's like, what's, what's going on? Oh, my God, look at those cats. Oh, my God, are those cats? What are those? <laughs> so let's talk a little bit about the, the wild blood that's in the Bengal cat, the, the original, I guess, the Asian leopard cat that was crossed originally with domestic cats. What is this wild blood? Is there really wild blood in Bengals? 
that's a uh, great starting off point for our conversation. Yes, there is. There, the woman who created Bengals, uh, Jean Mill, uh, did so back in the early 1960s. In 1963, she crossed uh, bred an Asian leopard cat, which is a small Southeast Asian wild cat that is indigenous to countries like Vietnam, Laos, uh, India, even uh, Afghanistan, Pakistan, on up to Korea, um, the Korean Peninsula, and even uh, the Philippines, Sumatra, Borneo. And so they look like, as their main name might suggest, a small leopard. They can range anywhere from 5 pounds of the smallest of species to about the 17, 18 pounds for the ones that live uh, near the Amur River in uh, northern Asia. And they have a leopard print coat that can vary from species, subspecies to subspecies, but generally uh, they are kind of yellow with big black spots with orange centers. And to the um, someone who doesn't know any def- different, you look at them and go, oh, that's a cat that looks like a leopard, hence yes. their name, the leopard cat. And, and that, so, and that uh, Jean, patterning got passed on in the in the interbreeding exactly. with domestic cats. That 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 was she retained that with some pretty pretty in, uh, smart breeding. <laughs> You're right, Jean. Uh, <laughs> earlier in her life, she uh, wanted to create a cat that looked like a panda, and so for her project, a paper at the UC Davis just after World War II, she talked about breeding a Siamese cat to a Persian cat to create a panda. And uh, that's what we call a Himalayan cat now. And the cat that she made in the mid-50s, that lineage of Himalayans is still the oldest continuously bred line of Himalayans in the world. I'll be done. So she was a smart lady. Yeah, isn't that cool? Yeah, it's very cool. Um, And you became a protege. I mean, there's even – I'm going to make sure that with the podcast of this – show i put a link to both a a whole piece that's sort of about you now as well as a whole historical written piece but there's a picture of you with gene mill you you became a protege you 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 took the 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 kind of flag that she was waving and you moved forward with it yourself as a breeder right (laughs) that's that's absolutely right so her prod her project um you know, continued in the 60s and then she had to abandon it and come back to in the 80s and when i discovered it standing in the grocery store line with my mother in one of those tabloid magazines that did an article about her, um, I was enamored. And I thought, oh, yeah, I want a pet leopard, but my parents say I can't have one. <laughs> when I called her <laughs> in middle school, she said I explained to her in very exact detail what I wanted my cat to look like. And she was kind enough to say I have kittens but none look exactly like you want in fact there's none in the world if you want that one you have to make it and it was a revelation to me that we could um have some role in uh the animals that we live with besides just uh, feeding them so yeah she is and she continued to play a huge role in my life until uh this uh uh past june when she passed away at 92 which was a really a good long life, and so she, you got to spend a lot of time being exactly. inspired by her. The idea of making a cat, you know, it's 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 kind of wild and bold when people cross two <laughs> kinds of dogs and come out with a completely other kind of dog, not just a pooish thing, yeah. but something they really wanted to have this quality and that quality. <laughs> people don't use that word. I've made a dog today, but in a sense, they have yeah. made a dog. But in the case of the Bengals. You and she and probably a very small other cadre of people, you really did make a, a subset 
of domestic cats, of pet cats. I mean, what they look like is so dramatic that it's it, no matter how beautiful any of us think our cats are or how lovely their markings, <laughs> it doesn't come any, it doesn't even approach the kind of high drama of a Bengal. And in this article, oh, so but it's true. Oh, my God, I'm not being sweet. It's, I mean, it's just a, a clear fact. I mean, it's a show-stopping cat to look at. And they're clearly very sweet. Well, and the first time I met you a few years ago, I said, Bengals, you know, typical me, big mouth, Bengals. I thought they were kind of wild and dangerous and they shouldn't be a house cat. And yet I see these animals that are just part of your arm, part of Anthony's arm, part of Anthony's back, <laughs> playing with you and going through little agility things. And and explain how you described what, how Bengals got, if they had a bad name, how they got it, and how that's well, not in, not endemic to the breed. Sure. Well, what you said is kind of the ideal of how a, a Bengal should be in anyone's life everybody loves their cat i mean i love cats because i had a great black and white cat when i was a kid and a great brown tabby cat named whiskers and that was what i thought you know i just wanted that cat to look like a leopard and <laughs> so with the <laughs> truly and uh once i realized that there was no way i could get a leopard to behave like my cat and um so i wanted a cat that was perfect just like whiskers and Broomhilda, my cat from childhood but just had a leopard print coat and so the idea of a bengal is to have a cat where selection for temperament and the normal domestic cat behaviors we all treasure and think it are so cute um exist and only thing different about them is their leopard print coat and some slight little features on their body so that you notice the rounded ears, the way you notice on a leopard have round ears, that kind of stuff. But um, they have become enormously popular. And so the idea that they are, um, you know, people can take part in that process, it was met with a lot of enthusiasm. And, you know, it's different when you want to create a, a breed from scratch. And when people cross two existing breeds, uh, that process is totally different. A Labradoodle is a one uh, litter or one breeding kind of creation, whereas a uh, Bengal or a breed that breeds true to itself and is working toward a goal, that takes a little more selection and um, intention. You, you can't do it haphazardly, and it, you can't create it from one litter or two or even ten. Uh, it takes a lot of people working together and um, being clear where your goal is. And so that's what we did. We selected for domestic cat temperament while doing our very best to retain those markings, and it's taken a long time. Um, and I think we're successful pretty much. Your reaction is one that I really enjoy hearing. So yeah, because because that's probably the, the olden days. I mean, the, the original iteration of the Bengal must have been 10, 20, or 30 years ago, even more when, when Gene Mill was first doing it. But what's really interesting is that you don't have to have a degree in genetics or in science or a bunch of letters after your name. You can work together with other cat fanciers who love what they're doing and have a goal of an emotionally and physically healthy cat who also happens to have these physical characteristics. Is that right? It can Absolutely. simply be from the passionate desire to, to bring a line along. 
that you in fact bring a line along? You said it right. In fact, you know, I I got my first Bengal when I was in high school, and truly the only way I passed biology was because I spent so much time learning about <laughs> cats. And so I, it taught me um, what recessive and dominant genes were and how they worked and why they were recessive or dominant, recessive or dominant. And then I also, you know, you can't, be interested in cats and not have to learn things, or wild cats in particular, learn things about uh, geography, where those wild cats live, right. how they live, how long is their gestation. So that can be an impetus to a whole world of knowledge, and you know that never ends. And it, uh, like leopard print, is worn by people throughout the world, across cultures, religions, national boundaries. These cats appeal to people of all ages, from all backgrounds, and. To me, that is so exciting to see. It doesn't matter so, where I am. If I have one of my cats, people will talk to me. Isn't that interesting? So, you know, that's interesting. We, we no longer, thank God, except for, I don't know, maybe some places still do it, kill big, wild, big cats in order to skin them and then wear a coat made from them. But that print, either in fake, either in printed calf mm-hmm. skin or in fake fur or something, I have lots of clothes that have a, a larger or smaller leopard print because I'm nuts. You know, I have pink in my hair and I have kinds of animal prints in my clothes. I, I, I'm never going to grow up. But it's. It, I never right. met you and thought nuts, you, Tracy. Not genius, nuts, huh? Not nuts. Oh, yeah, yeah. Genius. That's a word so often thrown in my direction and it flies right past <laughs> me and sticks to someone else. But it's true that that leopard print seems to, when you think about it, everything from tribes right where the the, mm-hmm. the king of the tribe or something wears the leopard he could be wearing something else but even f- high fashion low fashion it is a print that appeals to humans it's, i never really had thought of that that it's something that we want yeah. to wear most specifically the print of a leopard that's yeah, not I, a tiger so much i was in haiti um three years ago i remember walking down the street in port-au-prince and there was a young girl wearing a leopard print uh head wrap and just about a month before that, I was in the south of France and um, remember walking past a, um, a high-end designer's store in Nice, and they were featuring leopard print on their yes. clothes that were far too expensive yes. for anybody to wear. And I mean, it yes. appeals across cultures. And it's classes. a really good point. It's a, it's a, an observation that would only be made by somebody who lives with a leopard print, a lot of animals with <laughs> leopard print all over them. If somebody wants to get a kitten, a, a Bengal kitten, you obviously breed, but like any very responsible breeder, not many breedings a year, not many times for each cat, each female cat. So where do people go? Are, are there Bengal cat rescues, people that would really love one but want to do like the politically correct thing of rescuing? I remember hearing years ago that there were so many Bengals in rescue because they're so hard to live with, they're so high energy, and they can be really, quote, unquote, destructive. I think that was just a bad rap. Reading the article that was the long article about them, it seems to be there's just like a chip on the shoulder by a lot of other purebred cat breeders towards or against <laughs> Bengals. But are there many Bengals for adoption, or once somebody gets one, they never let them go? Well, I have to say, Tracy, that you know Bengals are the most uh, registered, and to register them, you have to breed them, uh, cat in the International Cat Association. Wow. So... Uh, Exactly. Think about that. So TICA, the International Cat Association, is the world's largest genetic registry of cats. And I'm really proud to currently be on their board. But 
I think last year there were 8,000 individual Bengals registered. My so goodness. That, that means a lot of litters of Bengals were born, and you don't need a license or um, any particular education or interest or passion uh, to put two cats together and make kittens. So there's a wide variety of people raising Bengals for a wide variety of reasons and motivations. I'd encourage anybody considering a Bengal to um, visit Tika.org and look through the breeder listings um, and be discerning and ask questions and always meet the breeder and meet the kittens and meet the parents. There's, I sell kittens all over the United States and the world when I have them, and I never sell them to people I've not met. And I either wow. fly with the kitten to deliver it, or the people fly to me to meet the kitten. But uh, it's a m- much better way. You're investing in a lifelong companion. So you know, a few days coming to Washington D.C. to visit me or wherever you decide to meet a breeder and pick out a kitten is well spent. It's, and it's very well said, and we know these things about puppy breeders and puppy mills and how to avoid the scam artists and how to meet the breeders who are, mm-hmm. whose heart and soul is really in it and would never ship a puppy slash kitten, would never just meet you in a parking lot with one. But with exactly. a, with a as, as rare and yet not so very rare anymore breed as a Bengal, you want to make sure that the people doing it are, have all the best interests of the cat in mind and not just their bank account. Because if they're that <laughs> popular, you wind up with that Dalmatian thing after 101 Dalmatians where people just want dogs with spots. And you really don't want to be somebody who says, well, I just want a leopard-looking cat. A cat's a cat. I don't care what clothing it's wearing. It does matter because if they're raised for temperament, Absolutely. that's the temperament you get. And I've seen enough of your cats and kittens to know that, you know, they're pretty enchanting, I mean, you should be careful. Oh, thank I you. can see somebody would definitely catnap one of your cats. Oh, well, thank you. Turn your back, yeah, and somebody are... would just run off into the into the wild blue. They're really enchanting. They're they're well, thank they're you. Little perfect packages. You know, they say that that cats are little works of art. Yours definitely are, and you can take credit for it, which is kind of marvelous. You made these cats. You know, you made them yeah. with a lot of thought and a lot of time and energy and devotion and. Isn't that a great feeling? And know that they go on to, yeah. to make a great life with others. I'm, I'm hoping that you always want the ones that you sell to be spayed and neutered. Well, there, you know, there are um, requirements, and anybody considering a Bengal cat should not only be looking for a great breeder, but when they find a great breeder they, uh, of any cat or dog, for that matter, uh, never just exchange money for a pet. Um, all my kittens and most of the breeders that I'm, all the breeders that I work with, uh, require a contract that uh, means lifetime placement. And if for any reason someone gets a kitten or cat from me, they um, have to bring it back if they can't keep it. And, yes. Uh, yes. There are rescues that uh, have Bengals. There is a Bengal rescue that, for some reason, people couldn't, wouldn't, whatever, keep their cat. That will take them and try to find homes for them. I sometimes have uh am fostering a rescue bengal and frequently i am because i'm have an ongoing breeding program and i'm selecting i have retired adults 
that uh, are spayed right. or neutered that I have kittens from, and many breeders do that. So that's a, a great source of getting a friendly, happy cat. With, Very uh, friendly with without all that kitten behavior, which some people think is adorable and for me wears thin after about two and a half minutes when they're climbing <laughs> the drapes. I'm like, really? Could you not keep all four paws on the ground? It's been great to oh, talk yeah. to you, Anthony. We could go on and on. You and your Bengals are just a delight. I'll have a link to your to your to the way oh, that people can reach you, you both for education and to add a Bengal to their life and, and maybe in this rehoming kind of way would be kind of wonderful. Give a retired a uh, slightly older citizen, a great way to spend the next, well, if you take good care of them, 20 more years of their life. That's the beautiful thing about cats. Exactly. And Tracy, can I say, Dr. Elsie's Precious Cat Booth, they are a fantastic uh, sponsor and collaborator with Tika and Bengal Cats, and they always introduce me to the coolest people like you. Oh, that's really nice. Well, I feel the same way that I got introduced to you because I, Dr. Elsie's has been part of my life for such a long time, and they're the founding sponsor, as you know, of the Cat Film Festival, which we have to get it to Washington, D.C., so you can stand in the lobby and greet people with your gorgeous bangles. All right. Let's work on that. You and I will work on that it's off the air, okay? Great talking to you, Anthony. Thanks so much. Thank you for listening. I hope this conversation has deepened your understanding and affection for cats everywhere. It's been brought to you by Dr. Elsie's, which has broken new ground by creating a healthy, dry, and canned food for kitties called Clean Protein, which is inspired by the protein levels found in a cat's natural prey. I recommend that wet food should always be your cat's primary diet. But clean protein is the first dry cat food I believe can be a healthy choice if you want to feed dry food, even as part of your cat's diet. This show is also supported by Cat Water, specially created for cats because kitties don't naturally drink water. Cat Water is chlorine-free, ozonated, and lightly acidic, which encourages them to drink more, promoting urinary tract health with an ideal urinary pH. Clinical studies by the University of Montreal School of Veterinary School showed that cat water dramatically reduces minerals in a cat's urinary tract and that 9 out of 10 cats preferred cat water to tap water and drank 48% more of it. Cat water is 100% free of all minerals known to cause urinary infections and bladder stones, which matters because UTIs are the number one reason cats are taken to the vet. Amazon, Petco, and other pet stores carry bottles of cat water.